Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 57. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fooliman? I'm fine. You don't sound fine. It's like... <laughs> That's not the voice of someone who is fine. It's the voice of someone who is weary with much toil and struggle in relation to the leaves. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh... <laughs> It's, I don't know if it's always going to be this way, but the last like few months of the season are just, for the last couple years have been a total drag. Yeah. Right? In the first Matthews year, we were like pushing for the playoffs and it was exciting in that sense. And then these next two years, right, or rather, I guess these last two years, it's just been, okay, we've got to get to the playoffs. And then, you know, things aren't going well or things are going okay. And, you know, we have to worry about Boston and their terrifying first line and, Zidane Chara interfering with everyone and not getting called. Mm-hmm. I'm mad so. just thinking about it. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I blame the divisional seating for this. And, you know, for the record, it's not so much the fact that we're going to run into a really good team in Boston. Like, that kind of sucks. But I'm a little bit like, well, you know, at some point you have to go through good teams to make a serious run. It's earlier than we would like, but it's, you know, it's not really the end of the world to me. But it sets us up so that, like, our only two options for, like, two months now have been, like, 90% they're going to play Boston, 10% they're going to implode. And those percentages have continually gone upwards and downwards, respectively. So now it's just, like, a 1% chance that we, like, lose out and miss the playoffs? Yeah, we'd have to lose out. Montreal would have to win out. And I think Columbus has to go 4-1. Or... Yeah, so there, a lot of stuff needs to happen. Yeah, so let's treat that, even though emotionally it feels like it's a real possibility, with the statistical respect that it's due, which is to say the Leafs are in, so this is just kind of an anticlimax right now. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point where obviously facing a good team in Boston is not ideal, but I mean, at this point, the Leafs have come back to the pack enough that it's no longer like some gross injustice where like we're better than every team in the Metro and we're facing like a top three team in the league or something. Yeah. Now it's like not out of the realm of fairness, really. Mm -hmm. But it it does make it anticlimactic because the seating has been locked in for so long. Yeah, like you're just sort of like, well, I guess we'll just twiddle our thumbs. And aside from that faint fear of Armageddon, it's just sort of like keep staring at Boston and wondering why they're so good. (laughs) You know, so yeah. Yeah. But then losing to the Ottawa Senators... I mean, it sucks. There's no getting around it. The Senators are not a good team right no. now. Uh, they have nothing to play for except, like, they do. They are getting a bit of that little bounce from young kids and um, kind of some cast-offs. Like, Anthony DeClaire has been really hot for them lately after coming over in one of their trades with Columbus. And, you know, he has something to prove. He's playing for a job next year, and he's been doing well. So there's a bit of that going on. It's not like... You know, when we say they have nothing to play for, on an individual level, several of them do. But all the same, you know, the Leafs played Ottawa into the ground last night. I, I hate to say for two consecutive weekends that we got goalie, but we did. And, right, and I know. saw some criticism of the Leafs for, like, for it even being close, kind of, in the first half of the game. And I think that's a little bit of an unrealistic expectation. Mm-hmm. Even bad teams over half a game can keep things close with good teams, right? Like it, it, it's half a game. That's a small amount of time. And 
the Leafs completely stifled Ottawa in the first half of the game as well. So, like, I don't know. Basically, I struggle to see any any reasonable criterion by which the Leafs didn't do enough to win last night mm-hmm. in terms of their skaters, right? And really, it was where the game was lost is that Garrett Sparks had a horrific game. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. And I, I actually really empathize with Sparks um, because it can't be fun to be in his shoes right now. As a backup goalie, when you have a crappy game, you know it's going to be a while before you get to redeem it. And with Sparks, it hasn't so much been a crappy game as it's been a crappy season. Yeah, I've, I will say I've tried to be reasonable about Garrett Sparks. I've tried to keep an even-handed balance. I wanted to keep him, doubts and all. Like I, we said at the time, you know, I'm not convinced AHL save percentage is going to translate that all that well. But, you know, the thinking was, look, he's 10 years younger than McElhinney. He might have the potential to be something more. He's been doing as well as you could hope in the minors for several years now. So I thought, yeah, you know what? Give him a try. Um, he seemed like the logical choice. It's been frustrating, man. It's been frustrating to watch. And last night, I was just sort of like, you know, it's that old Tortorella line about like, sometimes you just need a fucking save. And he was not doing that for us at all. You know, I, it sucks. It sucks to hand, to hand over two points, which would have clinched us a playoff spot, even though... We expect that's going to happen before long anyway. Uh, it just sucks to hand those over to Ottawa, who really we outclassed in every other respect. And yeah, I, I know that I'm kind of torn between like my emotional reaction to that game, which is just that like, oh, make a save, Sparks, and me being like, okay, it happens. It's not the end of the world. But uh, yeah, just a frustrating season for him. For us, and, you know, I'm sure he's feeling that right now. Yeah, uh, and the fact is, Sparks hasn't been good this year, and there's been no real defense of that. I think earlier in the year when we discussed him, we said that he was performing like a mediocre backup, and unfortunately since then he has had multiple bad games, so now he's performing like a bad backup. Yeah, he's And a bad backup is adjacent to not in the league. Yeah, like, it's descending in the direction where you can say, like, he looks like he's between maybe the 50th and 60th best goaltenders in the NHL, if I were trying to ballpark it. So um, uh, I, if we look at uh, Evolving Hockey's saves above expected, mm-hmm. he is 11th from the bottom in the league among goalies who have faced less than uh, 100 shot attempts. Or 100 mm-hmm. shots, I believe. And that's uh, more than 100 shots? goalies. Sorry? Yeah, sorry, more than 100 yeah. shots. Did I say less? Yeah, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, more... More than 100 shots. Um, yeah. And there's 82 of such such goalies. So That's actually worse than I was saying. Um, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and and I, I guess one thing I want to make, one distinction I want to make clear is that it's inarguable that Sparks hasn't been good. That's different from Sparks is not and will never be good. Right? Yeah. Goalie performance can be random. There's huge, huge, there's a huge distribution. Like, there's huge variance in goaltender performance in general. Mm-hmm. Um and certainly this gives us evidence that Sparks is below average and there's no evidence really at the NHL level that suggests Sparks is anything more than that. But there still is a lot of uncertainty here. So I'm not going to say that, oh, Sparks is a bum. He's never going to be anything, yada, yada, yada. He has been bad, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the farthest I'm going to go on this. 
I think that a lot of this, and this is, you know, terminal leaf Twitter brain that I now suffer because, frankly, I spend too much time trying to engage in the conversation around the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is just, you know, negative for your health and mentality. But, uh, you know, before the season, there were some pretty wild things being said about Garrett Sparks, and it amounted to people expecting that his extremely impressive, to be clear, AHL numbers we're going to basically make him a lock to be at the least very successful and poss- as a backup and possibly like approaching starter territory. And I kind of kept saying there are a lot of players who do quite well at some point or another in the AHL. Now, Sparks had multiple good seasons in a row, granted behind a really good team by the AHL. Like the Marlies were dominant for a while there. Um, and they also had a very good defense core as well, specifically. They did. Yeah, they had all sorts of guys who were top-tier AHL caliber defensemen. Martin Marinson, the Mark Giordano of the AHL. <laughs> yeah, Omar Mar. But, uh, yeah, so it's like, you know, as much as that's impressive, as much as that makes, I think, a convincing argument for why it was the right decision to keep him. Which it, I think we would both stand by. Yep. I would. I don't think that that was a mistake based on what we knew at the time. Uh, I just don't think that you can reasonably say we should have kept the journeyman in his mid-30s who's had a couple good NHL seasons over the guy who looks like he could still be something more than that, who's 10 years younger. Um, And we have more team control over. Yeah. You know, everything about it kind of added up. Now, you know, with hindsight, look, McElhinney's been a lot better (laughs) this season. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is in terms of that decision lining up at the time. But, like, the level of overconfidence, and frankly, there are people who are friendly with Sparks or who like his demeanor or his attitude, who watched him in the Marlies. And, it's, frankly, those people kind of jumped down my throat, and I'm still a little bitter about it, as you can hear. Uh, because there was an assumption that he was just going to walk in and be phenomenal. Um and he's not been. He's been really disappointing. Now, that said, and I mentioned this last time, he hasn't totally thrown away the season. Um, on the purest thing where it's, you know, he's 8-8-1 eight, eight, in his appearance. Again, goalie wins are not anything more than a very loose descriptive stat. But it's just worth noting that for a backup's performance, it's not like he was costing us point after point. Like, you know, if he were like... 3-12 and 12 or something like that, you could say, geez, we're leaving a lot on the table here. Now it's just like, well, he hasn't been great and we sort of survived it. But, yeah, it was tough to watch last night. And so I reached a level of exasperation that was probably a little bit much. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to regain my equanimity for which I am so renowned. <laughs> right. And, I mean, look, the people who, I guess, were opposing you in that argument could say, hey, goaltender, as I just said, goaltender results are random. Mm-hmm. You know, this doesn't mean, this doesn't preclude Sparks being a useful NHL player. The sample is still pretty small. There's still huge uh, error bounds on what he actually is. And I'm so comfortable with him going forward. And I think that's defensible. But, I mean, that was your entire point heading into it, that we still don't really know what Sparks is, mm-hmm. despite his, you know, nice AHL all-situation safe percentage on a dominant team. Yeah, we know that he's a good AHL goalie, at least. Yeah, That's it. and I mean, look, it's 
if you want to have a problem anywhere on your team, I think backup goalie is probably the best place to put it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it'll sewer you if your starter gets injured, but not many. If Freddie gets can injured, we are that, so. we're going to lose anyways. If Freddie gets injured, we have no hope. Yeah. So that, and you know. and that's not <laughs> unique to the Leafs. I think most teams, if they're Vesna candidate starter gets injured, they are going to be much worse, right? And it's not that different from like, oh, how Pittsburgh do if Crosby was hurt? Well, it, it would be tough. Yeah, although Pittsburgh is the only team to recently survive that, right? Because they had the yeah. Murray Flurry thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's an exceptional circumstance. By and and actually, uh, P- Pittsburgh always survives Crosby going out because Evgeny Malkin decides to <laughs> channel the ghost of like Mario Lemieux. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it sound like Lemieux's dead. But like, mm. channel the, the playing spirit of Lemieux. Yeah, coming down from the press box. So yeah, I, I mean... It is very easy to blow this out of proportion in the frustration that you feel from watching Sparks, you know, kick out a rebound, you know, 25 feet straight out into the high slot or... Or, or let an Anthony Duclair slapper from above the circles unscreened. Yeah, like, come on, man. That, that was a really bad goal. And, like, to be clear, Matthews made one of the silliest plays I've seen in the neutral zone this season. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what he was trying to do. For anyone who didn't watch the game, I'll probably not do a great job of describing it, but... Basically, he's collecting the puck near his own blue line. Riley is at his own circle, completely unmarked. It's an easy pass to Riley. Matthews tries to pass it off the boards to himself going into the attacking zone, like going towards the attacking zone. It's a pretty high degree of difficulty move. The upside, the thing I don't get is like the upside of the move isn't that good. Because the upside of the move is, okay, cool, now he has the puck in the neutral zone. Mm -hmm. Right? And the downside of the move is, well, now they have the puck in the offensive zone off a counter break, counter pressure, essentially, which is yeah. quite powerful, or can be, especially when you have an empty net, more or less. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that, you know, in basketball, they talk about the heat check, where uh, a player who's really feeling hot and all of his shots are going in starts taking increasingly difficult shots because, you know, they're just like, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling myself tonight because I'm that good. I wonder a little bit if Matthews was in, like, I am feeling myself tonight. Like, I can do anything. And then it was like, oh, I'm not immune to the laws of defense. So, (laughs) you know, too bad. But, um, you know, the thing about that is that when I reacted saying, you know, you need a fucking save from Garrett Sparks, I was actually reacting to the third goal, personally. Which, in the light of day and fairness, you can say that's less on Sparks. Um, That wasn't great, but... It was an odd man rush, and so those are tough to save. It's just, you know, I suppose this is all just like a focal point for the general frustration where it's like, we don't feel like we're going to beat Boston, even though I still think that series is actually quite close in terms of competitive value. Well, I mean, if you look at it, a team like Boston would never lose to a non-playoff team after out-shooting them dramatically (laughs) during the, the game and getting stoned by goaltending. I can't think of a single situation where that's ever happened. For, for those who didn't know, Boston literally lost to Florida in the exact same manner four hours before the Leafs lost to Ottawa. Which yeah. is not to say that, like, oh, they're a bad team and like, this excuses the Leafs' flaws. No, it, Boston's a good team. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's very possible that Boston kicks our ass. Yeah. But, I mean, this stuff happens, and I've actually been pretty encouraged by the Leafs' play. Yeah. In the last, like... I guess since the Buffalo game. Yeah. And granted, they have faced really, really soft quality competition. Mm-hmm. Right? But they're dominating these teams, which is what we would expect. And, I mean, the 
uh, Ian Tullock had a really good article at The Athletic about this, mm-hmm. where he, he pointed out that the Leafs' new lines, not new lines, but the lines that they've been rolling with the last little bit, have put up pretty dominant results this season, right? Matthews and Nylander have been phenomenal once they've been put together. Yeah. Uh, we know the Tavares-Marner-Hyman line is very good, and Kadri marlowe Capitan has been really the only place where Marlowe has found extended success this season. I guess the only other place would be Kadri marlowe Nylander. Yeah. Um, but, you know, including those, or looking at those trios... They've, they've, they've done well this year in terms of controlling shots, in terms of controlling scoring chances, in terms of controlling expected goals. And that has to be kind of the beacon of hope if you're a Leafs fan right now. Mm-hmm. That this team still has a ton of talent, that they've actually been carrying play pretty well. And like, I'll put it this way, I don't think Boston's throw to face us. No, I think if I were the Boston Bruins, I would also be lamenting the playoff format even more or as least as much as the Leafs are. You know, I like you'd be thinking, we're the second best team in the conference. We should be playing someone easier. Now, granted, that would actually set them up for a match with Carolina, which is not going to be a walk in the park. But uh, yeah, I, like I wouldn't be super eager about the Leafs, except for that weird sort of emotional voodoo where they beat us once last time and then several years ago with a totally different team. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um... I also see that fans are being like, <clears throat> excuse me, fans are saying that, oh, you know, the Leafs are just going to own the Bruins again. It's like, okay, they beat us four years ago, five years ago at this point. Six years ago. <laughs> Six years ago, Jesus, yeah. Six years ago, the Leafs have two, three, no, two players from that roster still on it, right? Kadri and Gardner. Yeah. The Bruins have more because they're, they were a good team then. Yeah. We <laughs> they didn't have to do an entire rebuild in between then and now, which the Leafs have done. Yeah. You know? Last year, they beat us in, in seven games. I feel like people forget this. It was a seven-game series where the Leafs had a lead going into the third period of Game 7. Yeah. It was like, about <laughs> as close as a series can possibly get. Yeah, but like and, everyone is so quick to see like parallels and patterns and stuff like that. They're like, see, it was inevitable. It's like, well, just because something happened doesn't mean that it's doomed to happen again. And you have to like look at the surrounding circumstances. And if you do, you'll be like, well, look. Katya is, always, sorry, I'm interrupting yeah. a little bit here. But Katya always says like people think that the road tomorrow will be like the road today, only more so. Yeah. You know, I mean... Pittsburgh owned Washington for a much longer period until they didn't. And then Washington went and won the cup, frankly, after I thought they had actually missed their best opportunity and their franchise player was into his thirties. You know, I don't, I hope we're not going to have to wait that long to beat Boston, but I do think that um, as much as there's a voice in the back of all of our heads telling us that we're running into historical inevitability and we're going to get wiped by Boston, you Which know. is a possibility. They like, could, again, yeah. We could Boston swept, is a sure. good team. They could beat us, yeah. right? That's very, very possible. It's also possible that the Leafs destroy Boston. Yeah, like you get the bounces a few games in a row. Anderson gets hot, and then all of a sudden everyone's saying, oh my God, it's Boston It's two done? pretty evenly matched teams. And I think what's hurting, I guess, Leafs fans this year is that Boston's kind of dominated the season series. I think they won 3-1. Mm. In the season series, didn't do us any good last year though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, last year we swept it. I think I don't know how many of the games this year were close. Mm. Well, uh, I don't have that close to hand that I can bring it up. But in the meantime, I would note 
that if you count regulation or overtime wins, which are you know the league's preferred tiebreaker beyond points for one thing, um, the Leafs and the Bruins have exactly the same number. They yeah. both have 45. So it's like, I don't. I can look at this and think, okay, the Leafs are a slight underdog. That's actually my opinion on it, which is, you know, home ice kind of hurts there. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you can look at this and say the Leafs are utterly outclassed, you know. And I will say, yeah, it's 3-1 and one this series, and there were a couple of blowouts by Boston, and then there was one close loss. So make of that what you will. But, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is, um, the Leafs this season, we have, per Korska, a 51.54 expected goals percentage at 5v5. Yeah. Boston has a 51.57% expected goals percentage. They're basically the same. Mm-hmm. And granted, Boston has had many, many injuries. And, yeah. you know, their lineup now, they made additions at the trade deadline, having Marcus Johansson helps, having Charlie Coyle helps. They're a better team now than they were throughout most of the season. The same is true of the Leafs. Mm-hmm. The Leafs are better with Jake Muzzin than they were without him. The Leafs didn't have William Nylander, perhaps their best play driver, for two months. Yeah. The Leafs but... are a legitimately good team, and a month of bad goaltending doesn't change that. And look, if Anderson lays an egg in the playoffs, yeah, we're not going to win. No team wins. Very few teams win when their goaltender lays an egg. Yeah. Like, uh... But I trust, I trust Anderson, right? And that's yeah. what it comes down to. I trust Anderson, and I trust that these guys haven't forgotten how to shoot. Yeah, right. If if they do, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like... I mean, well, that and that's true. Like, I think over the past month, the Leafs are like fourteenth in shooting percentage, which is not bad, right? That's average. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we have a couple notable high volume, high efficiency sco- scorers in Tavares and Matthews, you kind of hope we're a bit above that. Yeah. I mean, I suppose this was always pride goeth before a fall, but I was sort of convinced that the Leafs could sustain a slightly elevated shooting percentage. Yes. And I still hope that a little bit, but, you know, they were sustaining it at a level that was not going to continue. Yes, um, but but I think even over the last uh, little bit, even if the Leafs had gotten league average PDO, mm-hmm. they'd be winning more games than they'd be losing. They've been actually controlling shots reasonably well recently, since since Kadri came back, essentially. Yeah. Um. You know, this is kind of what it comes down to, cycling back around to Garrett Sparks, where you're just sort of like, okay, we just need you to make one more save there, buddy. You know, we just need you to to kind of hold us in there a little bit. And that said, anything can happen in a game. Everyone can have a bad game. Everyone can let in bad goals. It's just, ugh. I wanted a point, and I wanted to clinch, and I wanted to stop, you know, feeling a little bit of this kind of uh, ongoing existential dread, but, you know. The fact is, we're almost certainly going to the playoffs. And when we get there, we got a shot. So there were years I probably would have killed for that outcome. <laughs> yeah. I guess if I could give a message a message to the fan base right now, it's calm down. We're a good team. Mm-hmm. That doesn't guarantee us anything, but it's not hopeless. It's not even close to hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's just like a lot of stuff uh, that's kind of mood-based right now. But we thought that it would be worth kind of looking at this big picture ourselves because next week we're probably going to be looking at playoff previews or, you know, in that one in a million shot, we'll be saying, well, this was the worst ending to any season that's ever happened. We'll, but, be, we'll be talking about Jack Hughes. Oh, no, we yeah. don't have our first round pick. Is it lottery protected? No, it's gone. Oh, my oh, God. <laughs> We're going to give it to Los Angeles. They're going to get Hughes and Kako, and we're going to be doomed forever. No. 
That would um, actually be... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's a nightmare. We, it would be the only situation where the senators legitimately get to dunk on us in, like, a yeah. global sense. And yeah. that would be terrible. I might just retire at that point. I'd be like, well, I'm done. <laughs> Nothing good can happen again. But assuming that doesn't happen, next week we're probably going to be looking to the playoffs. So we thought this might be a good time to say most of the regular season is in the books. Uh, you know, we have 78 games. Are we disappointed? Are we pleased? Are we you know, generally happy, sad, indifferent to how this season has gone, just looking at the regular season. And playoffs, we know, are kind of eventually going to put the stamp on this. But the regular season is most of the time. You know, it's worth taking a look at this and seeing what we think this team has been doing. So, what do you think? How do you feel about it? Um, I'm, I don't know, I, I, I have very mixed feelings about this season. Mm-hmm. I think we're a demonstrably better team than last year, despite our point. We're, we're going to have a point total that's less than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen growth from some of our young players, but maybe not as much as we would have hoped from some. Mm-hmm. We still haven't addressed our biggest issue, but we've gotten better on the blue line with the addition of Muzzin. So it's like... It's almost like we're just in this period of stasis, right? Yeah. And because nothing matters until the playoffs, it's hard to really judge. Right. Uh, we haven't had amazing regular season success this year. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't really matter. Yeah. So I think I'm, like, somewhat satisfied. Like, I, I guess I'm, like, I'm whelmed. I'm very whelmed. <laughs> At exactly the precise level of whelming. Yeah, I... I get that, and that's approximately where I am. I did hope for more. I hoped that the yeah, Leafs and, and would improve you know what? defensively. I, I mean, I think, what was it, either last week or the week before, we were like soup, we had kind of a depressing podcast, right? Where, we did. Um, and for some reason now, I'm much more zen about mm. it. But I, I would stand by everything we said there. We're the same team as we were before, just a li- like kind of more so, right? Mm. And I keep going back to what Alan said like eight months ago. Yeah is that the Leafs leaned into their identity. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily. But it, I think a lot of us are kind of... We expected the Tavares thing to be some harbinger of like wholesale change in the identity of the Leafs. When, when, when you look at it, really, it's like we added an elite offensive player to an elite offensive team. Mm-hmm. We're the same, but more so. Yeah. And, you know, there are worse things to be than that. I think the Leafs are legitimately, warts and all, a top five team in the NHL. And all of the other teams that are there with us, except Tampa, who are kind of looming over everything like a colossus, they all have notable flaws when you stack up against the Leafs. Like, again, accepting Tampa, and maybe even including Tampa, but the Leafs have more scoring depth than pretty much anybody. And there are a couple of very good teams at West that have super dubious goaltending. Like, I'm thinking of the Flames in San Jose. Uh, so, you know, we're legitimately in the contender tier as much as it doesn't feel like it because we're third in the division and we've kind of had a rough run lately. I do legitimately think, you know, sometimes all you can do as a franchise is put together a really good team and keep hoping that your number comes up a given year where you get to win, which is what Washington basically did. You know, they, they made some mistakes along the way. They made some iffy decisions. They kind of stopped believing in offense as a strategy for them. But 
they eventually got to a point where they just put good teams into the playoffs enough years in a row that eventually they won. It's not guaranteed that's going to happen. San Jose has done the same thing, and they've had some heartbreaking experiences. Same with St. Louis. Yeah, uh, very much the same with St. Louis. But you can't really say we need to have the best team in the NHL every single year because I don't think any team can guarantee that. It's just not doable. You know, you, you can be very, it's very good. It's an unrealistic good. standard. Yeah, and so you have this to... This is the NBA. Year. No, like I think, you know, you, people look at the Golden State Warriors or something and that's what they expect. And as much as Tampa feels like they're almost approaching hockey Golden State Warriors status, they're not. Uh, they don't have that level of dominance because hockey doesn't lend itself to that level of dominance in the cap era. Like, I'll be surprised if we see a team win four cups in a row again. It's not impossible, but I don't think that it's really likely at this point. There are too many good teams. There's too much competitive balance. And a couple of injuries can bring you back to the pack hard. I mean, the, the Bolts are not that far removed from missing the playoffs with a really good team a couple of years back. Like, it's just, uh, you know, kind of luck of the draw to some extent. And I won't say the Leafs have had awful injury luck, but it hasn't been great and it hasn't been as good as in previous years. And the Nylander thing um, really didn't do us any favors with regard to the season. So, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, I think, you know, about cruising about the mid-range is a good way to put it. Again, it, it is very hard to describe our feelings on this season because it is so playoff determined. But insofar as I'm disappointed, it was because I expected a bit of defensive improvement. Like, I expected the Leafs to be not just last year, but more so, but last year, but more so, but actually a little better. Defensively? We have been a little better, right? Like, yeah, it's, more notably and, better, I should say. Yeah, and this is something uh, I think uh, I think Ian Tullock talked about this in his podcast with uh, with Steve Dangle, where if you look at the main difference between the Leafs' record this year and last year, like where where it comes down to, and I think Murrow had an article on this as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to like their record in one goal games, mm-hmm. right? And you know uh, that's not that's been shown to be not terribly repeatable year over year. We're, we're a better team in terms of 5v5 goal differential, in terms of um, our, power, our penalty kill has gotten a lot better. Our power play has gotten better and worse, in a sense. Like We're still creating a lot of chances, but the goals haven't been there right? for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we are a better team than we were last year. Yeah, I believe that. And it's just like, it's a question of whether it'll be enough, right? And this is kind of the fundamental problem with the, with our expectations is that our expectations are really only dependent on what happens over the next four to seven games with Boston. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that, you know, if we do beat Boston, suddenly this year is a success. Yeah. Um, suddenly all of this is forgotten. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, it, it really could go either way. And it, you, you know, you're conscious if you're kind of statistically inclined of how, kind of silly and unfair it is to hinge the whole season on two weeks in April, but that's the sport we've chosen to follow. So it's a bit like, you know, all you can do is kind of hope for the best. Uh, I noticed that uh, Dom Lashishan on Twitter and elsewhere 
has been constantly banging the drum that like the Leafs are not outclassed at all against Boston. Like they're mm-hmm. in very competitive series. Now he, he did also acknowledge he says like I like their chances in the first round and that's about where it ends because you know you have Tampa looming over the horizon. Oh no, he, I think with that he was referring to the Jets. Oh yeah. He, he and Travis Yost were discussing the Jets versus the Leafs playoff chances. Oh well, then I have misunderstood him, but I probably stand by that statement anyway in terms of if we get to Tampa, that's going to be tough. But, uh, you know, right now all of us would take, you know, our chances against Tampa in the second round because it means that we got there and just do our best in that regard. Ultimately, you know, when we look at, we break it down by individuals. You say, okay, who has been successful in your opinion? Who has been disappointing in your opinion? Um, I maybe expected a little bit more two-way improvement from Matthews. But at the same time, once Matthews... Like, Matthews, when he's been placed, played with one of Kapanen slash Nylander and Janssen, that's been mm. a good line. It has been a good line. With Nylander, it's been a really good line. It's been an amazing line. Yeah, so, you know, maybe that's the answer. And if you want to look bright side on it, you say, okay, after all that kind of turmoil over contracts and uh, the delay at the start of the season and then the possible overpay to Matthews, depending on how you look at it, we've probably locked together what should be a dominant line for the next five years. And once Marner gets signed, which I do believe that he's going to, I'm not allowing myself to be concerned about that yet. We should have two dominant lines between, you know, Matthews Nylander and then Marner Tavares. So that's encouraging. You know, I I can't look at too many players where I'm like, I'm really, really let down. Well, the the thing is, um, I think the Leaf stars have kind of been fine. Right. And I, I include Nylander in that. Mm-hmm. Um, because low shooting percentage aside, which is troubling for reasons I discussed in a, in a piece last week, but you know his to, his play driving and his offensive uh, transition play has been masterful. Mm-hmm. I think our stars have been very good, right? I, I, w- I would hesitate to give grades below an A to any of Tavares, uh, Marner, Matthews, and Riley, and maybe I'd give the ender like a B plus or something because mm-hmm. you do have to ding him for the shooting percentage. But again. The rest of his game has been really, really good. Yeah. And Anderson, of course. Anderson's like an A-plus at this point. Yeah. But the people who haven't been good have been really, really bad. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. Like, Marlowe has been a total anchor. Um, Kadri hasn't had as much success as he did in years prior. And that, that's something I actually wanted to mention as it related to, last, and to, related to the Ottawa game. Because the lines that were doing the damage, and I think this has been true for the past couple games... The Matthews line has been running train over people, and so is the Tavares line. Mm-hmm. And Matthews is, or sorry, and Kadri's line has been not quite as good. And a huge part of our value proposition as a team is we can run a very good third line that should dominate other third lines. And they haven't quite done that over the last little bit. I know their overall season numbers for Marlowe, Kadri, Kapanen are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. But I'd like them to start turning it on a bit because we're going to need them against Boston, especially if Boston splits up the uh, Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak line, mm-hmm. which they did in their game against Florida. They were running Marshawn Bergeron Johansson and then uh, DeBrusque Krejci Pasternak, and that's like a scary proposition proposition because they finally have enough good players around those guys, like with the addition of Johansson as a complementary skilled player mm-hmm. who can who can survive with the who can thrive with the top line 
and then you free up Pasternak's amazing shooting ability with a good passer like Krejci and a good two-way player like DeBrusque. Those are two lines that can easily go toe-to-toe with the Leafs. Yeah. And beat them, perhaps. Like, likely, right? I mean, you, you can never really expect to saw off positive against a Bergeron Marchand line. Yeah, they're just, they're too dominant. And, I you know, it, it does feel like we're running on a treadmill because we're coming back around to the same thing, which is, can you do well enough against that top line that your other lines can make up the difference and outplay them? And we need Kadri. We need Kadri and Kapanen. And I I mean, Mardo needs to step it up, but I have fewer hopes for him just because of the point he's at in his career. Yeah. But we need Kadri and Kapanen to like destroy that Boston third line. And I want to see, and we saw this a bit against Ottawa, I want to see Kadri sometimes double shifted with the fourth line. We have skilled enough fourth line wingers. Mm-hmm. Whether like if it's two of Ennis, Moore, Patan, uh, Brown, right. put Kadri with them for like take half of Gautier's shifts. Put Kadri with them for those. Yeah, and see if you can get a jump on a fourth line and surprise somebody. You know, like that would be ideal. But it, it just minimizes the amount of time where you're not playing one of your quality centers. So yeah, I mean that's certainly something an adjustment that I would like to see continue because you know we've seen a bit of it. But, yeah, like, looking at the team in its totality, I mostly am pretty satisfied. Like, Morgan Riley is kind of the epitome of last year, but more so. His point totals have just exploded. Uh, And some of that is probably not going to repeat itself. I feel like, as an aside, we should probably get out in front at some point this summer of the Morgan Riley disappointment arc that is going to happen next year when his point totals go down. Mm Because they will. Yeah. (laughs) Um... And, like, I don't think he's going to get 20 goals next year. He could, but he probably won't. Uh, and that won't mean that he's now a failure. It'll just mean that, uh, oh, God, I just had a vision of Ron Hainsey leaves, and then everyone blames him not having Ron <laughs> Shit, it's going to happen, and there's nothing I can do about it. Anyway, um, <laughs> but that aside, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, Travis Dermott, I thought, was shaping pretty well. He didn't really get a chance to step up to the second pairing, the way that I hoped, there was a kind of a glimmer of it earlier that slowed down and then he got injured. Yeah, I so. guess if, if I was to segment the grades, it would probably be much higher for what has happened with the forwards because I think we're running what is somewhat close to an optimal forward lineup at this point. I mm-hmm. wouldn't have Gauthier in it, but whatever. Yeah. But then the defense, yeah, it's like, you know, that's still very, it's like, let's not talk about that very much. Yeah, it's not. And, you know, Nikita Zaitsev's year, I have to say, is like, you know, it's a problem. Yeah, it's absolutely. Been a problem. It's, yeah. it's a big problem. Yeah. So, you know, all in all, it's, you know, they're not a perfect team. There are not many perfect teams. Even Tampa is not a perfect team. Uh, they're just pretty close. But, uh, you know, in the, in the macro sense, I keep looking at it and thinking, okay, for all the doom and gloom and for the fact that you can, you know, use a cutoff and say after this point they've actually only been like a 500 team or whatever, I still find myself thinking... There aren't five teams in the NHL that I am genuinely convinced are, like, notably better than this one. I just am not. You know, I think they're at least as good as the Jets, for example. I don't think... I mean, the, the Jets the have been terrible at carrying play for, like, the last month. A couple months now. And Patrick Laine has had a weird-ass year where he, like, he scored a billion goals in, like, two weeks. And outside of that... He hasn't been scoring at anything near his normal crazy rate, even though 
his full year numbers are still like pretty good. Yeah, I think he still has 30 goals. Yeah, which, you know, like that's nothing to cry about. But, you know, he's a 50-point player right now. And he's so, what's a nice way of saying this, useless defensively uh, that um, if he's not really, really outperforming in terms of scoring goals. He has one above average NHL skill. Yeah, it's the best one. And, and he's, he's the really best in the world at it. At it. Yeah, but if that's not coming through for a given year, his year can look really bad. Uh, I, I hate to, to do this, and I'm mentioning this purely in terms of a narrative sense, but he's minus 20 on the year. Like, there's going to be a lot of chatter in Winnipeg about that in the offseason if things don't go super well for them in the playoffs. Now, that said, because, you know, you have to find the silver lining here, it might save them some money on his next contract. But, they're going to uh, bridge him. You think they're going to bridge him? I think Line would want to bridge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'd be wanting to sign eight years coming out of this, but if I'm Line, I still say, look, we know it was a down year, but you know what I can do. You know the kind of player I am. I'm a 40-plus goal talent in this league. A down year doesn't change that. Pay me. And if I'm the Jets, I might think about it. So we'll see how that negotiation They goes. have, I mean, we talked with the least bad cap situation the Jets are I, I won't say it's a bad cap situation because I'm not that knowledgeable about the ins and outs of it but they have a lot of people to fit in, under a cap as well they have a situation where they're predisposed to lose somebody yes like yeah which their, is not cap hell that's like it's, it's a good problem to have yeah like like cap hill is what I envision like Detroit what yeah Detroit what Detroit was in where they were paying enormous amounts of money to mediocre players and they were not only unable to add meaningfully after, like, the Franz Nielsen contract. But they were bad. Like, they were locked into being bad. At least if you were the Or Jets, Edmonton right now. Yeah. And, like, that's real cap hell. Like, it's cap inconvenience when you're a good team and have to sort out how to pay your players. Like, yeah, it, it, for, it forces tough choices. Yeah. Um, so, so, I guess we're going to see, uh, you know, because they do have Line and they do have Kyle Connor. And they do have Jacob Truba, who has apparently wanted to get out of Dodge for like three years now. So, but he's still an RFA. So they could kind of put the screws to him. And then obviously they're probably going to end up spending, I'm going to guess, nine, 10 million on the, the Par Lindholm extension. So, you know, that really yeah. squeezes them. <laughs> and when you account for that, it's yeah, not really a good situation anymore. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just, it is interesting sometimes to spend some time on some other team's problems. Not just for the reason that I usually do it, which is to laugh at the Edmonton Oilers. But, you know, to gain some perspective yourself. And I do follow a couple of Jets fans on Twitter. And it's been interesting hearing their kind of disappointment as the season has gone on. They don't sound very happy. They sound about like, you know, kind of like the Leafs fans do. Maybe a little bit less panicked. But they expected their team to be a legit contender to win the West. And so did I. And right now they're sitting at 94 points, which is actually less than the Leafs have. You know, 94 points is mediocre underlying numbers. Yeah, that's the thing is if you're a stats nerd, you're a lot more concerned. You're thinking this team is not playing to its potential at all. So they're uh, 19th in the league in Corsi percentage. Which is staggering. Like, 49%. You look at that talent that they have on that lineup and I'm thinking... What's going on here? I'd have to go deeper to break it down. And I know they've been missing... They missed Dustin Bufflin for a period. And 
I, yeah, a period is a misleading thing. They missed him for a lot of games, is what I'm trying to say. A period of time. But he's an important player for them. And it seems to have been notable. And then you can combine that with a slump with Patrick Laine. You know, you can see how that season has really not been everything they would have dreamed of. It doesn't mean that they're a bad team now, although I think that there are some things that they need to rectify. But, yeah, you know, there's like just a lot of... There are a lot of different teams at different stages going around in the NHL. And when you have a laser focus on the Leafs, you can think that only we are feeling disappointment right now or feeling concern right now about how things are going. You know, it's not necessarily the case there. There's a lot of um, of ups and downs that go in the season. And the Leafs are not unique in terms of they had hopes that were not necessarily totally satisfied. But they weren't you know, a total washout. I think, you know, putting it back around to what is our feeling on this season, I think we can feel pretty decent about a lot of things. So, yeah, not outstanding, not like abjectly bad is probably how I would put it. And then obviously this all gets flipped over depending on what happens with Boston. So Yeah, yeah, that's the unfortunate reality. Yeah. So, we were going to do one uh, other thing in this podcast, which was to look at the NHL Awards. Um, so, the NHL Awards are voted on right after the regular season. So, they are regular season awards, uh, um, as I think most people know. And so, we were just going to go down some of them and say who we think ought to win. Yeah. So, uh, the Hart Trophy for the most valuable player to his team. Uh, Nikita Kucherov. You know, I I tried really hard to not go with Kucherov, to be mm. the enlightened stat person. It's like, oh, well, you look at you, simpleton, with your points and your goals <laughs> and your assists. Me, an intellectual. What was And, like, you know, do, trying yeah. to do that whole thing. And yeah. I think there, there, there's legitimate candidates. I think Sidney yeah. Crosby's had a brilliant year that's gone kind of under the radar for a Sidney Crosby year because he's randomly just become amazing defensively. Yeah, it's been weird to me, frankly. Just every now and then when you check in on his stats, you're like, is this like, like oh, Bergeron? Like, oh, he's, he's Patrice Bergeron now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> he, he just Neat. decided to do that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's kind of really impressive, you know, and you know, he still has 94 points. That's the thing. It's like. Yeah. You know, but... Uh... But at the end of the day, like... I know points are maybe simplistic and stupid, but Kucherov is the best player by far on the best team by far. I yeah. think he has to be rewarded for that to some degree. And, I mean, I think there's a tendency to undervalue power play points, but, like, Kucherov's... He and Stamkos are the central part of that power play. He, they run the show there. Mm-hmm. And that power play is has been the NHL's most dominant and is a big reason why Tampa is as good as they are. Tampa is a very good even strength team, but in special teams, they they just really destroy everything. Mm-hmm. So I eventually went with Kucherov, number one, and I would go Crosby, too. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of teams that were kind of flooding around there. I think that there was like a really funny argument for Mark Stone. That I don't think by any means was totally, like, illegitimate when he was on the Ottawa Senators because, like, he kind of was that team for a period. Like, his results were so absurd 
that you could kind of argue that he was the only thing preventing them from being like, you know, worse than the Buffalo Sabres in their tank year. But I just found myself coming around to saying, sometimes the important thing to do, and I actually believe this, is to appreciate cool shit. You know, when you've been a fan of hockey, sometimes you just have to look and say, wow, it's really awesome that this guy is doing this thing that we haven't had the privilege of seeing in a long time. Nikita Kucherov, you know, is over 120 points. You know, he's been as productive as any player we've seen in years. And I know that points are a noisy indicator and they're kind of rough, but at some point I'm like, that's cool, man. And there is like a legitimate underlying numbers argument. If I thought it was all empty calories or something like that, I would say, well, I don't know. But his underlying numbers are, are, are good. Like, for yeah. some reason, his, his, uh, he's viewed this year as particularly bad defensively in terms of expected goals allowed, mm-hmm. uh, at least by RAPM. I'm not sure why that is, but like historically, he's been an incredibly strong play driver as well. So I'm not worried about it being empty calories. And again, power play stuff also matters. Yeah. And he's been like the best they, they power play They don't take the goals the away. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, people can say, oh, you know, he is. Of course he's so good on the power play. He is Hedman and Point and Stamkos. But then it's like, I've, I mentioned this before, where like every Tampa player is used to diminish every other Tampa player. It's like, of yeah. course Stamkos is good. He's getting passes from Kucherov. Yeah, and I Hedman. could do that. But of course you Hedman know. is good. He passes it to Kucherov and Stamkos. Like, <laughs> at some point, you just got to admit that they're all good. Yeah, they're just a really good team. And, you know, what would you expect a really good team to do? We'd expect them to put up a collective point total like we haven't seen in a couple decades. And lo and behold, they have done so. So you know what? I just kind of want to give Kucherov the heart because I'm... This is maybe not the best reason for it, but I'm almost... I'm so frustrated by most of the arguments that he shouldn't get it because, you know, it, it wouldn't even be so much that, like, there would be an advanced stat argument that would be being made. It would be kind of silly voodoo nonsense about, like, well, he has too many good players, so he doesn't have to get it, and his team is too good. Stop messing around. Just give the best player on the best team the award for a change like you don't have to to really overthink this when just appreciating a season like he's had um i won't lie Connor mcdavid as always has a case for this but i don't want to give it to him purely because it's funny that the oilers are screwing up again and i want to enjoy that a little longer well yeah and i think i think mcdavid has like less of a case in terms of he, he's not as overwhelmingly dominant as the best player this season. Like, I would still, I'd still say Conor McDavid's the best player in the world. But yeah. this season, he has been amazing, but he hasn't lapsed the field to the degree that he did in prior years. Mm-hmm. He's been merely outstanding, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I think it all adds up to Kucherov having a really solid case, and I think he is going to win it. I just do find myself thinking that his lead in points is going to go a long way. Yeah, and, and, and like McDavid is actually produced on a per-game basis about as much as Kucherov. Yeah. Um, which is incredibly impressive. McDavid also plays like a fair bit more per game than Kucherov because his team is ass. Yeah. Like their whole strategy is, well, we have McDavid and Dreisaitl. Let's hope that that's enough. And it's not, but they try. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what's the next one on the list? Uh, the next one is the Norris Trophy for the defender who most excels at his position. Uh, Giordano. Yeah, Giordano. Ah, oh, damn. I thought we were going to disagree more. But um, uh... Yeah, so <laughs> with, with Giordano, I mean, he has the combination of the individual stats that are not as important to me with defensive, but are nice to have. And 
His um, play driving is phenomenal. He's on a great team, uh, and he's one of the primary reasons for their success. I think there's very few arguments against him. He's strong mm-hmm. offensively. He's strong defensively. Uh, I think his – let me check his penalty differential. I don't know that off the top of my head. But, like, he, he has all the leader juice that you want. His penalty differential yeah. wasn't very good. That, that's maybe yeah. the one flaw that he could have. But, you know, he, he's a brilliant player. And yeah. he's had a phenomenal year. Yeah, I don't think that you really need to go too much more into it than that. Just because, for once, I think this is the award is going to go probably where a lot of people would say it should. In terms of, like, there are so many things that line up. As you say, he has, like, the leadership juice in terms of, you know, he's having a hot year. He has the point totals. But I'm so impressed by someone who plays the quality of competition he does, which I still kind of believe in to some extent, and puts up the results that he does. Like, he's just been really, really impressive to me. Um, And, you know, if you're kind of a dinosaur, he's still plus 36 on the year at time of writing, which puts him second in the league. So it's like all of the good and bad stats and all of the tangible and intangible arguments to me point to him unless you just go totally raw points give brent burns the award which i'm hoping they're not going to do and brent burns already has a norris trophy doesn't need another one so yeah uh i said morgan riley could contend for this trophy i i think you know he he could i think he might be a finalist but i don't and and actually funny enough um a stats guy stats guys evolving wild who are a set of twins confusingly, um, actually have endorsed Riley for the Norris predominantly on the strength of his incredible offense. And they, they acknowledge his defense has been bad, but his, he's had one of the best offensive years in a long time. And part of that is because, you know, his shooting percentage has been ridiculous. And there's always also a question here about what do you want to reward for awards? Is it like if there's, if there's a hypothetical player, like say a hypothetical forward who every time he got the puck, he just shot it from the red line. But like, mm-hmm goalies just had an aneurysm every time un- unrelated to him and they always went in yeah right like is he the most valuable player even though he's like not doing something that you would think is useful and just happened to work out but like yeah. to what degree do you allow <laughs> luck to or what we attribute to luck or variance affect this and with riley uh, look he's had a phenomenal year i think he could easily be top three but for me with something like the norris i, I and actually with something like the heart i want it and maybe this is a little, I guess, uh, contradictory, given that I gave the heart to the guy with the most points, um, mm-hmm. despite, you know, maybe his play driving stats aren't as good as Sidney Crosby's, but he keeps putting the puck into the net. Um, but w- w- with, with Riley like, and with defensemen, I want there to be more of a focus on how they're driving play, and, because I don't really buy as much that defenders can impact their shot um, their shot efficiency to the degree that someone like Riley has this year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's that's contradictory. Maybe if I put more thought into it, I would I would change either my pick for Hart or my pick for Norris. Well, but the thing is, Giordano's no slouch in this department either. That's that's the other. Yeah, thing. that's the thing is, there's not really like a weak point. Like there's a point where it would be like, you, you know, there was one year in the 1980s where Paul Coffey had like 40 more points than the next defenseman, and they wouldn't give him the Norris anyway because he was mm-hmm. perceived as being defensively there's a point at which a guy is so productive that he starts kind of lapping the field and you just sort of are like well at this point i guess he's just getting it done i don't see like that kind of point separation enough to make me really think about it 
when, you know, Giordano was right there with everybody and is also doing all this great defensive work against top competition. Yeah, and you know I guess I mean? one really good thing that Riley does that is perhaps underrated is that he doesn't really take penalties. Yes, that's a big thing. And actually, that, that's a huge advantage of him with respect to Giordano. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, I, I think Riley probably deserves to be top three. But mm-hmm. I think when, it, when it's close, my tiebreaker kind of just goes to who's the better defenseman. And I think yeah. Giordano is a better defenseman. Yeah, and I think that that's a tenable argument. So, yeah, once again, I think this is actually one of those special occasions where we might be right. I'm not 100% confident in this, but I do think Giordano is going to win this award if I have to bet. So, uh, Next up, the Selkie uh, trophy, which is for... Uh, the forward who d- best excels at the defensive aspects of the position. Uh, Crosby. Crosby, yeah. That's a cool choice. Uh, I did what I feel like every sports writer feels obliged to do, and I said Patrice Bergeron. I la- like I did actually look at it, and I was like, Bergeron he, again? He's missed time this year. That like I, yeah. He's been as good as ever, but yeah. he's missed time this year, which is why he didn't get my list. He didn't get on my list. Stone probably could have gotten uh Stone has an argument and you know i 100 have a slight bias against wingers for this award i probably shouldn't in the case of mark stone whose results are kind of preposterous his results since he went to vegas are almost certainly yeah they're almost certainly like small sample craziness but they're absurd like they're and like i'm trying to express it but it's like they don't make sense in reality for what I've been conditioned to believe is possible. So depending on how much you believe there, you can definitely make a case for Mark Stone. Um, but Patrice Bergeron just goes out and friggin gets it done. I know I sound like Mike Babcock, but like he puts up these results where uh, the offensive results are really impressive. The defensive results are ridiculous. You, you know, when he's on there, the, the team is like 50% better. And he just does this year in, year out. I still find myself thinking if I had to build like a defensive line uh, and I could have my pick of any player in the NHL, I would have Bergeron right now as the center on that line. Um, probably, at least. Uh, I, I do think Crosby is a really interesting choice because, the, you know, the knock on him earlier in his career, one of them, was he wasn't perceived as that great defensively. And it's interesting how that aspect of his game has really developed. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, he's got such a fanatical work ethic and a commitment to self-improvement. So I could totally see that, like, he, he certainly has an ability to learn uh, and to keep improving uh, even after he's turned into his 30s, which is not an easy thing to do. Maybe that's just what it is, is that he's really, like, kind of buckled down to, uh, to to work on that aspect of his game. But it's really impressive to see. Yeah, and, I mean, Crosby's also... He... Like, there's, there's never any complaint about competition with him. Not that there's with Stone. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like he, he, his resume this year is, is impervious. He's been just absolutely amazing. Uh, doesn't take penalties either. So, like, yeah, he's, he's a brilliant player. And I think, I don't know, it's an amazing capstone to his career to add a Selkie on top of everything else he's already done. Yeah, right? it would I, actually be legit cool. Yeah, to and see that happen. I think it's well deserved in this department. Um, I would Bergeron on a rate basis has been you know amazing. Couturier always deserves some love for this award. 
Sean yeah. Couturier is amazing. Uh, one of the most... I don't know. I don't think he's underrated because everyone really knows how... Well, actually, I'm not sure. I, I would have Couturier as a top 10 center in the world. That's how good I think that he high. is. Yeah. Um, so maybe he is 20. underrated if, if you take yeah. my definition as what, is, what he's actually worth. But I'm sure people would disagree with me there. But yeah, Crosby is just hard to, hard to beat uh, yeah. when it comes to this ward. Especially when it comes to the minutes he plays as well. Like he provides mm-hmm. a lot of value because he's on the ice a lot as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's been the funniest thing, but... I will say, I never fell for it this year. When Pittsburgh looked like they were scuffling earlier, I was like, nope. This is like the horror movie where you think the monster is dead. Monster is not dead. Pittsburgh's going to surge back. And they did. And so, you know, going into the playoffs, uh, they may not have home ice against, say, the Islanders, which is who they're currently lining up against. But, like, who's betting the Islanders in that series outside of, you know, Long Island? Like, <laughs> and Brooklyn. Like... I don't want to bet against them with a fairly soft path out of the the Metro. So, yeah, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Vezina for the best goaltender. You know, if Anderson hadn't had this month-long slide, I would have honestly chosen him. I know. I, eh. I think it has to be Gibson. Yeah. And... Leads the league in goal saved above average. Or goal saved above expected, rather. Um mm-hmm on a garbage team, right? So he has to do a lot, and he provides a lot of value in that regard. Uh, yeah, I think it's got to be Gibson. Bishop has a, has a shot as well, I think. Yeah, I would bet on Gibson. Sorry, I would vote for Gibson if it were up to me. I would bet against Gibson winning the award. He's not going to because... His team's his, too bad? His team is too bad. And so a lot of the argument on game saved above average... Sorry, whoa. I am imploding in terms of my speech right now. Goal saved above average is you have to recognize that Anaheim was so bad earlier that they were allowing him to get absolutely bombarded, not just with quantity of shots, but with quality of shots. Like, they were so much worse than you would really even think that they were (laughs) um, earlier this year. And he held them in there. But, like, his raw save percentage is 916, which is good, but it looks kind of pedestrian um, for the Vesna. And I don't think that there are enough voters who are really believers in things like goal saved above average to propel him to the award when his ordinary stats look middling to good on a really bad team. So I could see Bishop winning it. I could see Vasilevsky possibly winning it, although I think there's going to be a bit of a bias against him for team quality there. And, you know, Anderson, uh, he probably has just played himself out of competition there does darcy kemper get a look in arizona that's an interesting question and i say no because i don't think anyone actually pays attention to arizona but um he's kind of like they've had a fun run there where they really did their best to make it back to the playoffs with nothing Mm -hmm. um and you know and he he cleared 50 games so like it's not like he was just doing this in a short sample yes i think jordan binnington is going to be a little bit held back just because... Yeah, he has a, like half the minutes of someone like Gibson. Exactly. So they're not going to uh, to give him credit. Yeah, he only has 29 games. So he's basically non-competitive for the award despite his save percentage. Grice Robin and Leonard are, are interesting. Yeah. Well, I think they both hurt the candidacy of the other because they've both been about yeah. as good as one another mm-hmm. um, in, in like kind of 1A sample sizes. So it's like if there was a word for team goaltending, which I guess is the Jennings, Yeah, you, you would give it to them. But... 
for any individual thing, it's I, I'd probably a little difficult. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's got the 44 games, whereas, you know, I know I keep referencing games played, but that does matter for the voting for the Vesna Award. Like, you have to be perceived as kind of the guy. Mm-hmm. And I know that that prevented Brian Elliott from winning it one year, for example. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Leonard, as an aside, is going to win the Masterson because he had some, some pretty notable personal difficulties. He talked about struggling with, uh, with addiction. And so him getting a fresh start and then turning out to be brilliant has been uh, an encouraging kind of comeback story. So I think he'll win on that basis, but I don't think he's going to win the Vesna. Mm-hmm. So I suspect I suspect it's going to be probably more like Bishop, but we'll see. Um, Jack Adams for best coach. This is a freebie. I feel like. <laughs> Actually, we're going to disagree here because I'm going with John Cooper. Oh yeah! All right. You know what? John Cooper is a tenable choice. I my when I said freebie, I said Barry Trotz because he took a team that I think everyone expected to be quite bad, and by adding. Some impressive defensive structure and also, let's be honest, some goaltending that is pretty lucky. Some people who made a fucking He's save. Them... Yeah. <laughs> Sigh. Some people who are not Garrett Sparks. But uh, he, he took that team to competitiveness. And yep. And I, I, I think Croft's a good choice. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't believe the meme about, oh, he, you know, he only got good goaltending. If you look at their shots allowed with basically the same core as last year. Mm-hmm. It, there's a noticeable improvement. And part of that is they had maybe the worst coaches in the league last year, and they're going to one of the league's best in, in trots. But mm-hmm. what Cooper has done in guiding an elite team to one of the best seasons we've seen is mm-hmm. incredibly impressive to me. So I, I think, yeah, actually there was a really good article on, um, on Raw Charge, SB Nation's sister site, and I'm unfortunately blanking on who wrote it right now. I'll include it in the write-up for this, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Cooper has just been ridiculously uh, good if you look at what the, team has ex- what the team has done versus what it's expected to do, right? It, it, if you look at, for example, their Vegas over-under points, and I think this is one of the points made in the article. Mm-hmm. If you look at their Vegas over-under at the start of the year and the points that they're going to actually achieve, it's actually higher than the difference between what the Islanders did and what they were expected to do. And I think the difference between bad to mediocre or bad to good, I'll be charitable to the Islanders, bad to a good mm-hmm. team, is less than good to one of the best teams we've seen in the salary cap era. Yeah, I think that's a plausible argument. Um, I may just be hedging because I expected Tampa to be first in the league and I'm going by change in standings rather than change in overall point output. But there's no way to argue that what they've done has been really impressive. Um, that said, Trotz is going to win the award. And, you know, I think that's kind of a given just because that's how the voting tends to go. But, uh, yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, best GM. This is always a bit of a weird, did we skip the Calder? Oh yeah. Oh, Pedersen there. Andreas Janssen. (laughs) Yeah. F y'all Andreas Janssen. No, no, it's Pedersen. Pedersen's amazing. He's a freak. Yeah. Uh, he's really good and the Canucks should be really happy and they should also be kind of concerned because they're going to make, Pedersen is going to make Jim Benning look smart and is going to keep him employed. So have fun with that. But uh, yeah, best victory. GM. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best GM is always kind of tough because it's never clear, like, what constitutes best GM. You know, general managing is a multi year job. 
You know, you have to build this team over time. And the guy who I think kind of has a credible argument for it is Steve Eiserman, who stepped away right at the start of the year and then turned it over to Julian Brisebois, who was his assistant GM in Tampa. And so dividing up responsibility for that is kind of tough. I'm just giving it to Steve Eiserman anyway, though, because I can do what I want. So <laughs> I think that team is just impressive in every respect. Yeah, GM of the years, I, I, as you said, it's a multi-year thing. So it's like, do you get credit for a move that you made two years ago that's panned out now? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fuck it. Just give it to Eiserman. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, just, man. Just honestly, just give it to the GM of the best team in the league every year. Yeah. You know what? That would be about as accurate as anything else, right? So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, we've covered the awards. Unfortunately, we did not succeed to get in giving any of them to Leafs except sort of Andreas Janssen winning the Calder in our hearts, if not in reality. But, uh, yeah, hopefully this week the Leafs can take care of business. And then next week, I guess we'll be talking about playoffs. Yep. That will be fun. Uh, he says with <laughs> In no way will I be scared. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So um, you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's stuff at pensionpanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.